blow in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. You are destroying the Constitution of the United States. May God have mercy on your souls. Good day. Yes. We could be saved if we just elected the right white man to power. That's creepy, but that's in a different category of creepy. Zitzu, zitzu, zitzu. Gary Geigers. Of course he introduced zoning laws. Okay. You know what? Don't. Yeah. The less I have to do with that game, the better. Here's my favorite part of the defense. Clodius was probably fucking his sister. Jughead, not Jarhead. I have nothing against Marines. I want to make okay. that very clear. I'd be really interested to find out what fucking truth that woman was trying to get at. And like with most episodes, I can bring it back to wrestling. Oh. Right, well, he's got other people who work for him who also do things, and, and they can okay. mutate okay. Uh, okay. human size into smaller worlds, after all. Fuck you. I still don't give a shit about getting fake property in a fantasy game. This is a Geek History of Time. Where we connect nerdery <laughs> to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a 45-year-old uh, middle school history teacher uh, with uh, one, counted one, section of uh, seventh grade English. Uh, currently distance teaching here in Northern California. Uh, and I am also uh, a very happily married uh, father of a uh, two-year-old uh, who just recently interrupted one of my distance learning lessons uh, by coming up to me and telling me about a dragon, uh, to which I responded, well, go get your sword. You know how we deal with dragons in this household. How very British. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Who are you? I'm Damien Harmony. I, I am a single dad. Thanks for that salt. Uh, no, I'm a single dad of two. Count them two uh, children. One who's 10 and one who's almost eight, uh, which is amazing. Uh, I just, uh, uh, neither of whom have interrupted my distance teaching. I'm also a high school Latin teacher uh, with a uh, section of world history. Uh, my daughter recently... Uh, asked uh, our player to play uh, Under Pressure by David Bowie. Afterwards, I had her listen to... Um... Now, fun fact, did you know that David Bowie signed away all the rights to that song because he didn't like the record label he was working with? Really? Yeah, so he gave it all I, to Queen. I had not known that. Yeah. Uh, story goes, he gave all those rights to Queen because he was like, look, it'll get me exposure, that's fine, and... I'll finish writing bad albums for this record label. Then I can go be the artist that I want to be. Um, so he did that. Uh, fun. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so then um, I had her listen to Ice Ice Baby right afterwards. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I explained to her that the guy who sang that song claimed that he came up with that beat all on his own. And she's seven. And she's like, no, he didn't. It's obvious. So I'm like, there you go. There you it go. Is, it is. It is. It is pretty obvious, certainly yeah. in retrospect. Yeah. And I have to say, um, I, 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 I love you in the agape way a little bit more for hearing that, because just earlier today on my Facebook feed, a memory came up. Oh. From two years ago, when my son was about three months old. Mm -hmm. uh, we went down to visit my my parents in Southern California. Mm -hmm. 
And um, my mother and I went to the store to try to find a, a swimsuit for my for my son, who at that point was still an infant. Sure. And we couldn't find one. And so my wife immediately got on – after we got home, my wife immediately got on Amazon and started looking. And she said, you know me. If there's a problem, I'll solve it. And I oh. made sure to make eye con- and I made sure to make eye contact with her before I said, "Check out the hook while your DJ revolves it." Oh my! She gave me a she gave me a blank stare to which I responded, "Ice, ice, baby." Oh wow! So so I was working on my dad game from like right there from the moment he was ex utero. Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty much from from the moment he was exit your row, and nice. and I want to and I also want to point out for our audience that when I posted that on Facebook, uh, you you mm-hmm. you specifically were one of the first people to reply with a comment mm-hmm. that was another line from the song that led to a whole series of of our our back and forth. Sure. Part of part of which involved me saying no, but she did look like she wanted to throw a harpoon at me. <laughs> so you know well done sir well done so yeah oh. but <laughs> so so you know kismet you you yeah. you know that shows up oh, on that's the feed funny. this morning and now you mentioned that today that's kind of funny yeah yeah so yeah. wow but well, uh, when when we in in, in in much less you know happy fluffy dad bullshit notes yes. um when we left off uh, on our last episode, um, we were talking about Firefly. Yes. We were talking about the universe of Firefly. Mm-hmm. And I was explaining who the Alliance were. And mm-hmm. kind of by extension of that, I was explaining who, who Zoe and Mal were. That, of course, the, the two of them, the, the captain and the first officer of, of the Serenity, mm-hmm. um, Firefly class starship Serenity were veterans of um, a war mm-hmm. between the invading forces of the Alliance and the independents um, who were who were trying to fight them off, as it's depicted to us by Mal. And Mal, of course, is a hardcore, still partisan for the independents. Uh, there's an episode that starts with him picking a bar fight on unification day right uh which is the commemoration of the end of the the unification war which he and zoe fought in on the losing side Mm -hmm. Uh, the alliance sought to take control of the independent planets and moons not previously under its control um, and the Alliance is the overarching big bad of the series. They experimented on River. They send the hunters after the crew of the Serenity because they have River with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Alliance is decried repeatedly by Mal as being oppressive and a bunch of invading bullies. Mm-hmm. And uh, Simon Tam, when when we hear about his backstory in the process of of you know the kind of kind of the backstory of an episode that he's you know heavily involved in. We kind of find out that life on a core world looks like something out of a cyberpunk novel, mm-hmm. and he particularly comes from the privileged class of of the Alliance kind of society. He right. and and River River. 
Um, and, um, you know, he gets warned by his parents that, you know, you need to stop pushing on this. This is dangerous. You know, you're going to make people angry, whatever. And that kind of points in a direction of this being kind of this corporate kind of fascist kind of weird kind of, you know, you know, surveillance state, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But, um, that's, that's kind of the extent to which we get an explanation of who the Alliance are. What we see in the series is the mm-hmm. Alliance soldiers wear purple, a very bluish shade of purple. Independence wore brown, uh, which is where the appellation of brown coats comes from. That, that Mal and Zoe were brown coats, and the fandom are brown coats. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the bits of war backstory that we see in the series, it's clear that the independent military had a military structure, but they they were a lot more ad hoc and ragtag than the Alliance Army. Would you call them and a they fought, loose confederation, if you will? In a way, yes. Mm. Can I come back to that brown coats thing? Yeah, go right ahead. Shorter version of a coat, maybe less warm, might be a shirt. Um, not the vibe I ever picked up. No, certainly not um, uh, in the writing but, but of the show I, or anything. But the the yeah. the similarity to that always really did bother me. Brown coats, brown shirts, like brown that. Shirts. It was okay. too too close for my comfort. I can okay, I can understand that. Yeah. That was not. Now, of course, I I come from a very different uh, ideological background than you do. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was never something that that kind of twigged for me. I never, okay. I never picked up on that in the same way. Mm-hmm. But I can, I can see that. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Wow. Um, but but the good kind of kind of the point that I that I want to make is that the independent army is always portrayed as being, as I said, a lot more ad hoc and ragtag, mm-hmm. and they fought a great deal of spirit and determination. And they never gave up. And they were fighting against a foe that had a massive material advantage and fought much more mechanistically. And had a lot more they cities. Were, yeah, they were yeah. much more urbanized. Mm-hmm. They they had a great deal of material advantage. They had a great deal of technological advantage. They had a great deal of manpower advantage. Right. The, the independents were always outnumbered. Right, and they wore and, uh, a color very close to a deep blue. Yes. Yeah. And in Bushwhacked, that's the title of the episode, and we're mm-hmm. going to get back to that title in a little bit. Good. Mal is questioned by an Alliance officer. They, they all wind up getting picked up by an Alliance cruiser mm-hmm. uh, after a raid by um, the Reavers. Right. And they, they all get picked up. Wait, and I thought Alliance, River was the one that they were helping to keep safe. She was, and I don't remember off the top of my head how they managed to pull that off in the process of doing all this. But, well, but so how they is do. she doing the raid then? Nice, Thank nice. You. Reaver, Reaver, Longy. Okay, fine. Reaver, you want to pronounce it the way they do in the Reaver. show? Reaver. Okay. Uh, you can't see it, of course, but I'm now flipping Damien the bird. So. Anyway, in this episode, Mm -hmm. Mal gets questioned by an Alliance officer about his bitterness from the war. Mm -hmm. Because the accusation winds up being leveled that, 
you know, it's it's not these these mythical barbarian reavers that 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 attacked this other ship. It's you, you attacked the ship because you're still bitter about the war and you're trying to attack these people who are trying to go about their business and whatever, sure. and they're loyalists to the alliance. And uh, he specifically says, you know, are, are you, you know, you're 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 doing this because you're angry about the, you, the fact that you were on the wrong side of the war. Right. Mal's response, Mal's answer is, may have been the losing side. Still not convinced it was the wrong side. Yeah. And that was, a, number one, great writing. But yeah. it also twigged, as you say, um, yeah. for me as well. Okay. All right. And I'm going to, before we get into more about how it twigged, I'm sure, going to stop sure. you there. Because I, I got more to say. Okay. So Mal, so so this this is this is kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna draw all that together before I get into real world history. Uh huh. Mal and the crew of the Serenity are basically a criminal gang mm-hmm. committing multiple heists against mm-hmm. the purple uniformed authorities of the Alliance. Mm-hmm. The captain and his lieutenant are both veterans of the war who still carry their allegiance to their side years after it has ended. Yes. Okay, nobody can argue any of those points. That's all canon within the series. Yes. Now, let's talk about Missouri. Thank you. (laughs) Very specifically. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Missouri was a border state. Mm-hmm. It had been admitted to the Union in 1821 as a slave state Mm -hmm. in order to balance out the state of Maine. Important uh, geographical fact for anybody who doesn't have a map in front of them, of course, Missouri is in the Midwest mm-hmm. uh, on the Mississippi River. Maine, of course, is in the very extreme northeast. And so Missouri was accepted as a slave state into the Union. Maine was a free state. Mm-hmm. And, and as part of the Missouri Compromise, which we all learned about in eighth grade U.S. history, um, no slavery was supposed to be legal above latitude 3630 right but now we need to talk about kansas Mm -hmm. because the kansas nebraska act happened in 1854 and suddenly instead of 3630 the issue became the idea of popular sovereignty right now it should be noted that the first attempt to form a territorial legislature for kansas was marked by rampant election fraud by pro-slavery border ruffians coming from Missouri. Well, I'm sure there were that there it, were good people on both sides, though, Ed. I mean... Fuck you. <laughs> and you're good people on both sides. One side wanted to own people as property. Screw that. That's a tradition. It just, you know, <laughs> that they were brand new to that Her- area with... Yeah. yeah, heritage, not hate, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Okay, whatever. Fuck you. Yeah. And them. With a cattle prod. Yeah. Um, so um, the the a, a federal panel of investigators, mm-hmm. this, is, this is in 18, I want to say it's 55, a panel of federal regulators mm-hmm. uh, or investigators ruled that the election would have led to a free state majority if not for that interference from Missouri and that pro-slavery delegates – ignored all of that and moved the state capital closer to Missouri and started immediately passing pro-slavery laws in the territory. So they held an election. Mm -hmm. People from Missouri crossed over the Mississippi River into Kansas in order to vote fraudulently in that election in favor of pro-slavery candidates for for the legislature. Mm -hmm. 
federal investigators said this is all a load of bullshit. These people should not be part of the government. There needs to be a new election. A new election was actually held. Oh, wait, wait, wait. The federal government, though, its capital is in Washington, D.C., which is in a northern state called Virginia. (laughs) Oh, you sweet summer child. (laughs) (laughs) To cross-pollinate from another nerddom, but um, (laughs) no. No? Okay, here's what I want to point out. These are federal regulators, and as you say— uh, Washington D.C. Of course, mm-hmm. as anybody who looks at the map knows, is located, you know, is surrounded by Virginia, mm-hmm. which is not a northern state. Oh no, Robert E. Lee didn't like slavery, and he was from Virginia. I don't sideways with a chainsaw. <laughs> like no. The fact that federal regulators would say, no, this is bullshit, should, if anything, be that much more telling about what bullshit it was Mm -hmm. based on the time period. Yeah. Um, And so so the federal federal panel had explicitly stated these people had no legal authority, but they all just said, no, you know what? We were elected. We're going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And when abolitionists formed a competing legislature in Topeka, U.S. President Franklin Pierce ruled they were insurrectionists and let the pro-slavery legislature carry on without federal intervention. Well, that sounds like a president is abrogating his duty to actually enforce federal law when state law is being made that runs counter to the freedoms uh, and the agreements uh, under a federal system, though. I mean, surely he didn't get away with that. No, he totally did. Oh. I wish I could argue differently, but he totally did. Oh. So uh, this has led to the situation that is referred to as bleeding Kansas. Uh, violence broke out in 18... 18- people with weapons actually started doing shit in 1855. Uh, competing militias mostly wound up maneuvering against each other. There, there were not really a whole lot of fatalities. There was not actually a lot of bloodshed. There was destruction of property. There were towns being laid siege by one militia or another, either either pro-slavery or anti-slavery. Right. Uh, but in 1856, the conflict escalated with the sack of Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, the town of Lawrence was an abolitionist town. Mm-hmm. And an anti-slavery mob led by the pro-slavery sheriff of Douglas County basically sacked the town. They sacked as in, in took over with guns. Yeah, and then burned parts of it to the ground, looted, destroyed a massive amount of, pro- amount of property. Um, God, what did the what only, did they do as, when if, the federal government? I remember, I did, I did. What did they do when the federal government came in and like told them to stop and and like put up a barricade to stop mm, all this from happening? Yeah, I really wish I could say that actually happened. Because again, Franklin Pierce was president of the United States and so uh, commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces, and therefore that isn't what happened um, this in, guy in 1850. really incompetent. Like yes. just letting yes, bad does. things happen to, to good people. Yes. Yes. Glad he we've is. learned. I'm not even... <laughs> I mean, could you imagine now? <laughs> like, oh, oh. Just, oh, 
Yeah, I wish. Um, <laughs> I, I wish history had gone differently in so many ways right now. Mm-hmm. But um, so in 1856, this is an event. Um, I we may have referenced this before on the show, but in 1856, mm-hmm. uh, Senator Sumner. Yeah, we did of Massachusetts, uh, was, uh, beaten nearly to death with a cane, uh, by a representative, uh, from the South. Ooh, ooh, let me guess. Uh, let me guess what state. Let me guess. South mm. Carolina. Yes. <laughs> Who knew? Big shock. Yeah. No kidding. Big surprise. Now, partly because um, he was, uh, Sumner was being really mean to everyone and that's not okay. Yes. Yes. Sumner, Sumner was deeply incivil. Mm-hmm. Uncivil, incivil, anyway, whatever, yeah. whichever prefix I need to attach to it. He was deeply uncivil in a speech where he referred to what was going on in Kansas at the time mm-hmm. and specifically referenced the senator from South Carolina mm-hmm. as aiding and abetting the rape of a virgin in in I mean I mean he he was overtly sexual in his language regarding the violence being done by the slave power against the anti-slavery abolitionist settlers and so forth in Kansas. Um, I didn't go into it in, in great detail, but the, the pro abolition or anti-slavery, mm-hmm. <clears throat> pardon me, the, the anti-slavery folks in Kansas had actually said, okay, no, you know what? Look, we're, we're going to, we, we have our own, we have our own legislature mm-hmm. and, and that legislature uh, set itself up and, and was, was trying to do the business of governing the territory um, in, in, in the manner of actually representing the anti-slavery majority of people in the territory. See, that's their mistake though. Like you can't represent the majority of people and what they want in a government. Um, Cause if you do, then, then like you have the tyranny of the mob. And you need to be able to protect um, uh, the minorities' uh, rights. Um, Jefferson talked about this. So really, if mm-hmm. you let them do the anti-slavery uh, thing, that wouldn't have protected the black people living there because black people are a minority. And therefore, by allowing slavery... Do, in... do you want me to point out where the, where, the, where the breakdown is in your chain of logic? Go because for it. Because it's yeah. really fucking easy. <laughs> but the words um, sound the mind... alike. The minority, the and the minority grammar we're talking about is not that. Yeah, yes, yes. That's one of the one, one of the one of the wonderfully magical things about the English language <laughs> is you can switch a word out like that, <laughs> and, and and pull frankly that kind of bullshit out of your anus without <laughs> without you know without having a, a really break of sweat. <laughs> yeah, without without even even so much as a whisper of a fart. <laughs> but but no, that's not how that works. And so, so anyway, Sumner Sumner gave this speech in which he was frankly incredibly rude oh, well. to the to the senator from South Carolina, and then the the representative in the House of Representatives mm-hmm. from from South Carolina who was related to uh, the the senator from Son South Carolina son in law yeah yeah yeah. Um, uh, walked into the Senate chamber with a very heavy hardwood cane and beat the shit out of Sumner, almost to the point of death, leaving him with with significant neurological damage mm-hmm. that actually required that he go to Europe for for treatment for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I want to say to their credit 
but I kind of want to say to their credit, Mm -hmm. the people of Massachusetts continued electing Sumner for the next, I don't know how many years while he was still unable to serve. Mm -hmm. So his seat sat empty because the people of Massachusetts were like, no, no, fuck you. Yeah. He's our guy. Yep. Um, so that just gives you an idea of how bad the caning was. But in, in Southern newspapers and in pro-slavery newspapers, mm-hmm. editorials called for abolitionists in Kansas to all be similarly beaten nearly to the point of death. Right. Uh, because or, they or were rude abolitionist views. in the North about this peculiar institution. Yeah. Yeah, clearly, like, I mean, obviously, uh, they didn't overreact at all um, in a state no, not in, the least. in a state where the property requirement for being a senator meant that you had to own at least 200 slaves. That was a state important point. state regulation. Yeah. So you had to own at least 200 slaves to become a senator in South Carolina. So. And then they sent the dude. Tangent. They sent the dude so many, so many like cane Canes. handles. Yeah. Oh no! I found out in doing my research for for this for this episode that like other Southern senators actually got pieces of the cane he had used yes. to beat Sumner, yes. and they made necklaces out of them mm-hmm. to 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 show solidarity. Well, like a rational person would. Again, if he had just been polite. How fucking barbaric. I'm sorry. I'm going to be just unapologetically a California fucking Yankee. Partisan. No, no. Okay. Screw that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm <laughs> yeah. fine with that. Yeah. Because, you know, of the two of us, I, I, I was I was actually, you know, uh, talking about the two of us to, to another group of my friends today. And, and, you know, we were talking about whether whether you would you would get along with other friends of mine. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> Damien isn't actually a full blown Marxist. <laughs> True. <laughs> and that's that's kind of as far as I was able to go. And I was like, yeah, no. So so as the one of us who counts as the right winger <laughs> out of the two of us, can I just say, no, fuck that. Okay. Well, yeah. I With just... a cattle bra. All right. So no. so you, you support the Republicans from back then. That's fine. The Republicans <laughs> of that era. It's an important caveat. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you agree that the current party that's in power is the party of Lincoln. Got it. All right. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. This episode was going to be about one thing. Do we need to make it about another? Because like I've been, I've been locked up in my house for, I don't even know how goddamn long anymore. Like, do you really want to go? Okay. So Sumner. Goddamn. Um, so, <laughs> Sumner got beaten damn near to death to the point where he was bellowing like a cow and other guys drew their guns to keep back other people from protecting him from the beating he was receiving. Yeah, because because, of course, you know, the Democrats of that era were the hardcore MAGAT Republicans of this era. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Anyway, so now. So, so, and, and again, Southern newspapers and and pro-slavery newspapers called for all abolitionists to to face a similar, similar fate. Uh, In May of 1856, John Brown led the massacre at Pottawatomie Creek. Mm -hmm. 
in which pro-slavery settlers were murdered with broadswords. John Brown might have been the only woke person in the 1800s. He took a fucking broadsword <laughs> to try to stop slavery. He was a white dude um, who yeah. thought that black dudes would be his equals um, or should be. And he took a broadsword to make his point, which is frankly yeah. the only kind of language that the South seems to understand. So good job on him fighting fire with fire or I'm, fighting fire I'm, with I'm, weapons. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. He's yeah. a, he's a fucking kinda... hero. Like I, all the joking that I was just doing aside, John Brown is a goddamn hero. Like he, he is absolutely a hundred percent the hero of that era. I think I'm, 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 I have a hard time arguing with you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to say that based on modern liberal kind of more social mores. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm being very presentist. yeah, yeah, yeah. He he comes off as an extremist, of course, because you know because he, he took a broadsword to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and and you know the the argument, of course, gets made that you know at Potawatomi Creek, the individuals that were hauled out of their homes and, and murdered were in that moment unarmed, and you know, uh, right, uh, you know, and and so so. To an extent, we have to recognize it as being, in many ways, kind of kind of an act of terrorism. Mm-hmm. There is there is the argument, of course, to be made that, of course, those individuals were owning people as property, engaging in terrorism. Were were themselves engaging yeah. in terrorism, and so I mean, you know, we, we could we could get into a back and forth debate about that, but I, I want to include that just as an as an example of what was going on in Kansas at the time. Yes. Back and forth. Sure. Not to say not to say good people on both sides. No, no. But but the the violence was a tit for tat kind of situation is what I'm trying to say in this case. Now a congressional commission investigated this. This is after so so one group first mm-hmm. looked at it and said no no this is illegitimate these people shouldn't have legislative power. Right. Pierce went yeah no I don't give a shit whatever. Mm-hmm. A, a congressional commission investigated the election of the pro slavery legislature. Uh, in April of 56, they concluded that the election was bogus with rampant by voting from non-residents. And it's important for me to note here that those non-residents all came from Missouri. Mm-hmm. Pierce, Pierce refused to recognize its conclusions. And in July, federal troops ordered the anti-slavery legislature in Topeka to disband. Like they literally pointed cannons at the building in which the legislature was meeting and lit long fuses. Wow. And it should be noted that the officer commanding those federal troops was the cousin of Senator Sumner. Can you imagine being the guy having to do that? Wow. Did they have, did they have the, like the, the, you, you don't have to follow immoral orders clause yet no. for soldiering that's that's that is a relic of the vietnam okay. era okay we have that because of lieutenant cali right okay and so, and wow. to actually i mean I, I should say we have that as a as a uh relic of the, of the nuremberg trials but mm-hmm. in a, in a very specifically american sense right we have that 
because of Lieutenant Callie. Wow. Hey, fun fact. Did you know that in uh, Missouri, lightning bugs um, are are, uh, also called devil bugs, but they're not called fireflies? Really? Yeah, fireflies. You don't get fireflies until you get west of Kansas. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's weird. Yeah, it's kind of a fun thing. All right. So, um, so anyway, the the anti-slavery legislature was forced to disband in Mm -hmm. Kansas in August of 56 at the Battle of Osawatomie. um, Several hundred border ruffians from Mm -hmm. Missouri uh, fought against the inhabitants of Osawatomie, a majority anti-slavery settlement, and mm-hmm. showed up and, and raided the place, basically. In 1858, border ruffians kidnapped and shot 11 unarmed abolitionist settlers, killing five in the Marais de Cygnus massacre. And it's important, I, I want to I point out that I'm using the phrase border ruffians in both of these cases for an important reason, which mm-hmm. is to say border ruffians were all Missourians. Mm-hmm. So people coming across and committing raids and essentially acts yeah. of terrorism, if you will. Yeah. So now note the balance of violence. We have one, one incident that we see mm-hmm. uh, carried out by anti-slavery John Brown. Mm-hmm. We have multiple incidents carried out by pro-slavery forces. Mm-hmm. Note the fact that these are all terrorist paramilitary attacks. Right. Note all of that, and then keep it in mind as I now go back to Missouri. Wait, just real quick. You you talked about yeah. a, a group of paramilitary folk who sacked the town, correct? A little while back? Yes. Showed up correct. armed at the Capitol, essentially? took it over yeah in support of their ideology nothing nothing like it has happened in in modern modern politics i'm just glad that we learned our lesson yeah except like earlier this week in was it kentucky well um they didn't go tennessee uh they didn't go into the capital in kentucky uh except in january of this last year um, mm. They did that as a right. different part of a different rally, but um, right. there right. were people who stormed several capitals uh, in in the recent time because we have a shelter in place uh, basically across all the states, um, and people have gone armed and started uh, congregating and threatening to uh, shoot our governor. Uh, threatening to lock him up, a constitutionally elected uh, state official. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm wrong. This has actually happened again. Okay, mm-hmm. well, um, that's depressing mm-hmm. and and kind of angry making. But this time you have so, a president who is exactly like Pierce. No, because Pierce had military experience. Oh, okay. Yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> and and had competence in several realms. So no, Pierce's balls hit wow. his saddle so hard that he fainted. Um, he was in the military. I had forgotten about that oh, story. Yeah. He's got his magic. <laughs> yeah, crushed his nuts. Yeah. 
I had some guy that came after me pretty hard about that uh, about four years ago, um, like trying to prove to me that like no, he didn't crush his nuts and blah blah blah. Like he was like picking apart the details of the story instead of recognizing the overarching mythos that was being used. Theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, okay, yeah. sweetie. So yeah. yeah, Pierce was an asshole. We're yeah. done. Yeah. So um, so now I'm getting back to Missouri. Sure. In 1860, a pro-South governor was elected to office who publicly supported the idea, which was a carryover from the pro-Northern governor who had preceded him. Uh, The idea was the state was going to remain in the Union Mm -hmm. but stay militarily neutral, meaning they were not going to send forces to the Union. They were not going to send men to the South. Okay. It was we're going to remain in the Union, Mm -hmm. but we're not not going to support the Union. We're going to we're going to be militarily neutral. Okay. Now behind behind the scenes, the same asshole worked to funnel money to secessionist efforts to arm the Missouri Home Guard, which was a majority slave holding slave pro slavery kind of group. Now, when you say money, do you mean like taxpayer money? Uh, no, trying to get bank funding. Okay, cool. So at least it's a private enterprise trying to hold up. Oh boy. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Whatever the fuck that means. But and <laughs> and then and then also behind closed doors, he was actively campaigning for secession. Wow. In eighteen sixty one, mm-hmm. uh federal federal troops showed up in, in in the state and um tried to take control, took control mm-hmm. of the arsenal at Camp Jackson, which was a federal arsenal. And there's there's an awful lot of back and forth about this, but that led ultimately to the pro-slavery faction within the state legislature having to flee the capital. Mm-hmm. And in exile, they all voted to secede. I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brush. Yeah. I'm simplifying a great deal here. But this wound up leading to a situation where Missouri had a star on both flags in the Civil War. And Missouri ultimately, which remember originally they'd said we're not going to send troops either direction. Right. Turns out they wound up they wound up sending troops both directions. Like letting people choose. Well, it mostly it was kind of a regional thing. Most of the unionists in the state came from the region around St. Louis itself, which gotcha. was kind of a bastion of union support, and then the western and southern and and generally more rural parts of the state were where most of the Confederate sympathizers were. Again, urban versus rural. Okay. Yeah. So the war went how the war went. A numerically and technologically superior force ultimately won victory over a less well-organized, poorly equipped, outnumbered rebel army. Uh, Despite all of their elan, despite however much honor they brought into the fight, they lost. All caps. I want to say again, they lost. Uh, and after the war, a very great many of the veterans of the Confederacy, along with a very great many of its civilians, were immensely bitter about it. But before we go too far with that, one detail about the war is really important. Mm-hmm. Bushwhackers. Note that bushwhack or mm-hmm. bushwhacked is a title of an episode of right. our TV series. Both pro-Union and pro-Confederate irregular military forces. So we're talking about paramilitaries, being right. modern parts. 
units, we'd call them paramilitaries, operated in Kansas, Arkansas, and Missouri during the war. Mm-hmm. Union irregulars were referred to as Jayhawkers. Confederate irregulars were referred to as Bushwhackers. Kentucky has a university, and their mascot is the Jayhawk, isn't it? Yep. Okay. Kentucky was Union border state as well, but kept slaves. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Worth noting. So in Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, the two big names uh, during the Civil War, as far as as far as paramilitaries on the southern side, mm-hmm. were James Quantrill, the leader of Quantrill's Raiders. Mm-hmm. And bloody Bill and bloody Bill Anderson. Now Anderson started his, for lack of a better word, his career mm-hmm. as a lieutenant under Quantrill. Uh, and Anderson is the one who eventually had the James brothers, Frank and Jesse, join mm-hmm. his forces. Right. Now, something that struck me while I was doing this research is, um, you know, you hear about these guys who are these leaders of these paramilitary organizations. You hear about these guys who hold the kind of honorary, kind of semi-official rank of being colonel. You know, Quantrill kind of carried around the, the rank of colonel, you know, and what's what's interesting to note is at the time that they started their paramilitary terrorist careers, both of them were in their 20s. It's a bit young. They, like, like I was, when I looked up Bloody Bill Anderson for, for, for doing the research for this episode, I was taken aback by the fact that he was 24 years old when he became the leader of this band of of. Ruffians. Outlaws, yeah. essentially ruffians, yeah. And Quattro was only four or five years old. He was under thirty. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. it should also be noted that when Jesse James uh, joined uh, uh, Quantrill's organization under Anderson in '64, he was only sixteen. So there's there's a certain era attitude toward age that's that's involved in that. But yep. like. You don't, you don't think like, you know, you, you hear a name like, you know, Colonel Quantrill. And personally, I picture a guy my own age or yeah. a little bit older. Oh, like, yeah. You know, I'm thinking white hair when I hear yeah. Colonel. Not yeah. because of Colonel Sanders either, just because like you hear Colonel. Like you, exp- like you have to have yeah. worked your, your way, your way up through some kind of an organization. And like in order to do that, you've got to be a certain age. Like right. you have to have a career behind you. Nope. Nope. You can you can also nope. get a field commission or a family commission, or you could be a self named colonel. Anybody back then could have called mm. themselves a colonel one town yeah. over from where they grew up, and nobody would have known. Yeah, yeah, like, nobody would have known. Yeah, yeah there's a lot true. of ways to go about it. And interestingly, so, the people who illegitimately take over countries will often uh, not award themselves the rank of general, but the rank of colonel. Gaddafi yeah. did that. Gaddafi. Yeah. yeah. So um, what's interesting is Quantrill actually answered to a Confederate chain of command. Like he, he had a Confederate, a, 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 
as legitimate as any Confederate general ever was. Right. But he had a, a no kidding, you know, recognized by the Confederate government as a general in the Confederate army, mm-hmm. kind of kind of sort of giving him like, well, you know, go cause trouble out here kind of orders. Uh, Anderson never really did. Anderson never held any kind of any kind of even semi-official military rank. Um, and and all of these guys were irregulars. They were all paramilitaries. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when when they got captured, mm-hmm. when any of their number got captured, they were treated as common criminals. And which they, they were, were. Which well, yes, which they were. And so they were given a, a summary kind of kind of trial or court martial, and they were hanged mm-hmm. as traitors, uh, as 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 criminals and traitors. Yeah. Right. And um, so you know, I've got I've got other stuff to go, to go from there, but I, I think now would be a good time for us to kind of take a moment, take a breath before we get too overheated, and uh, <laughs> maybe talk about our sponsor. Yeah, well, it's actually not a sponsor tonight, uh, but it is a commercial that we're we're very pleased to put on. Uh, so, um, Empire Comics Vault in Sacramento, uh, located actually on uh, Fulton Avenue um, at eleven twenty Fulton Avenue, Sacramento, California nine five eight two five, is run by a wonderful man named Ben Schwartz. Uh, he has two pugs that walk around that store while you can shop for comic books. Um, and currently that comic store is closed because it is not considered an essential, uh, quite rightly. Um, so they are closed to the public, uh, which is a shame because community-wise, it's a really wonderful place to get to go. Uh, but Ben is still mailing out comics to people. He still has gift certificates that you can buy. Um, he can still actually recommend a good deal of comic books because, uh, quite frankly, he's read a lot of them. So he knows what he's talking about. Um, he's also currently restocking back issues. So if you have gaps in your comic uh, collection, you might want to call him to try to fill the uh, fill that gap. And if you've got kids that you're trying to figure out reading for, uh, kids' books are always 20% off. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. I also want to, want to kind of ask here, mm-hmm. since you say that he's restocking on back issues, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about if you have a hole in your in your collection, what about if you're in a situation where you have some stuff that you want to try to offload? Because if he's if he's mm-hmm. going if he's selling them, then he's got to be getting them somewhere to do that. Is that is that some people can do at this point? Uh, like, you know, you contact him and say, hey, this is what I got. You know. Can I would you, recommend calling him. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. call him at 916-482-8779 during normal business hours, so essentially from about 11 a.m. forward, um, you might be able to uh, ask him that very question. And if if not that question, then plenty of others about comics that you might love. Uh, when all of this blows over, please go visit him at 1120 Fulton Avenue, Sacramento, California, 95825. Uh, because he really is a wonderful man who runs a really nice business. They do podcasts out of there. They do uh, comedy shows there in the summer. Um, he's he's always been very good to the community. Um, so uh, I encourage all of us to uh, give back a little. Uh, once again, you can call him at 916-482-8779. Awesome. Yeah. All right. All right. And now back to our show. So, and now back to our show. So, um, so yeah, the, the union authorities treated bushwhackers as criminals because mm-hmm. in the eyes of the law, that's what they were. Sure. 
Um, and so in 1863, uh, Quantrill's group, uh, at this point with Anderson acting as one of his lieutenants, attacked the town of Lawrence, Kansas, set fire to a significant portion of the town, and murdered 164 civilians. Now, Quantrill himself said that his motivation for the attack was, quote, to plunder and destroy the town in retaliation for Osceola, which was a reference to the Union's attack on Osceola, Missouri in September 1861, led by Senator James Lane. Osceola was plundered and nine men were given a drumhead court-martial and executed. Lawrence was purported to be the home base of Union Jayhawker forces, who had, it has to be admitted, committed atrocities in the western plantation counties of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they were referred to as red legs in many cases or, or jayhawkers. Uh, in western Missouri, they had committed raids into that, that part of the state where there were plantations, where there was slavery going on, and they had committed torture of unarmed civilians. Um None of the Jayhawkers themselves were killed mm-hmm. in, in the raid on Lawrence, so far as anybody can tell. Uh, the, the people who were, who, who were the victims of the Lawrence massacre were not paramilitaries. And there were 164 people killed in this raid. Wow. That, again, Quantrill argued was, was revenge for the attack on Osceola, Missouri. Pretty sure revenge attacks aren't really something that's what's the word I'm looking for sanctioned in the, the code of war when you talk about fighting honorably? Well, yeah. And I, I, you know, I mean, you know, to play devil's advocate and, you know, and you will be, and uh, in in, in this case, um, you know, uh, this, this is of course before the Geneva convention was even the twinkle in the eye of a diplomat anywhere, but yes, no, you're right. Uh, revenge, revenge attacks are not considered a legitimate motivation. Um, but that was, that was Quantrill's rationale at the time in 1864, Jesse James joins his brother Frank as part of Anderson's group. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, by this time, Anderson had split from Quantrill, (laughs) and the reason he'd split from Quantrill's group was because uh, Quantrill had told him he wasn't allowed to get married, and he wanted to get married because it was 1864, and by God, he needed to get laid. Well, I'm just glad that ideology has really been driving um, all of these forces. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hate it, right? Yeah. (laughs) there's, there's um, no moral high ground whatsoever with these people. None. No, none. None. None at all. Like, even to the point and where they so, start splitting off, it's not because, like, well, you're not loyal enough to the cause. It's, it's I want pussy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. no. Okay. Here, here's what you need to remember. Um, to one extent or another, they're all descended from my people, my ancestral people, that is to say, which is to say the Scots, mm-hmm. who essentially are like, well, you know, I didn't like that. So I'm going and I'm going forming my own group and, mm-hmm. you know, fuck you. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's part of that, you know, Celtic Calvinist, you know, if, if your church doesn't believe what I think is right, then I'm going to form my own fucking church because mm-hmm. I know better than you do. It's the same thing. Oh yeah. And so, uh, Jesse James and his brother were very likely involved in the Centralia massacre 
in September of 64, mm-hmm. 1864, in which 24 unarmed Union soldiers were executed by the bushwhackers of Bloody Bill Anderson's forces. Um, after, so here's the deal. So Anderson got all of these Union soldiers off of a train in Centralia. He lined them all up. And then he complained loudly about how the Union had been treating irregular forces, which is to say bushwhackers, that that they would treat them like common criminals. And then he murdered all but one of them. Had had them all summarily executed. I like like the moxie that it takes to put yourself on the same level as uh, an actual army, though. Like, you know Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, uh, I have a problem with you as equals. And it's like, bitch, you're not equals. Like, you're you're a terrorist. No, you're 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 a bandit. You're you're banditti and, yeah. and a terrorist, and wow. and you want to try to claim that? Yeah, no, totally. I'm wow. right there with you. Yeah. So then they wound up losing the war, and uh, bushwhackers turned into outlaws. Uh, Missouri, which is you know where all of these assholes had come from to cause all this trouble in Kansas, mm-hmm. remained at at war with itself. Because again, uh, it, it, <laughs> of course it did. It should, yeah. No, no. It should be. It, it, it's it's important to to keep in mind that demographically speaking, okay. So so Missouri became a state in 1821 mm-hmm. as part of the Missouri Compromise, and at in in 1821 it was majority slaveholding. Well, between 1821 and 1860, mm-hmm. the demographics of the change of the, of the state changed considerably. They had a huge influx of German immigrants, first mm-hmm. of all, Irish immigrants after that, and then and then other European immigrants from mm-hmm. other, other parts of the continent after that. And the majority of those new folks coming into the state were not pro-slavery. Right. So the state had this really significant demographic divide between all of the plantation people mm-hmm. out in the, in the rural parts of the state, especially farther toward the south and especially out west, and then in and around St. Louis, which was mostly mm-hmm. abolitionist, mostly free labor. And uh, so former bushwhackers started mm-hmm. committing violent crimes and acts of terrorism against what was then the Republican Party, the Reconstructionist government. Right. And essentially, they continued the war by criminal means. So this is after Lincoln is dead. This is after Appomattox. This is after all yeah. that. Yeah, they're yes. keeping it going. Yeah, they're yeah. they're refusing to let the war end. Right. And uh, Jesse James, in particular, mm-hmm. became famous for the exploits of the gang he and his brother Frank led. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this includes multiple bank, train, and stagecoach robberies across the Midwest, notably moving up into Minnesota, which was a very much Union state. Yes. Um, and while he and his gang, this is now in the 1870s, 1860s into 1870s, he wrote repeatedly to newspapers taking responsibility for the gang's crimes and complaining bitterly about the wrongs done to pro-slavery Missourians before, during, and after the war. He specifically 
painted himself and his family as victims. Of course. Of, of, of abolitionist and Republican and, and reconstructionist officials. Mm-hmm. And justified his, his actions as revenge for the crimes done by the Union Army. So, and yet again, this is not a guy driven by ideology, but this is somebody who saw in his lifetime an influx of folks with a different ideology because you said there was a demographic shift mm-hmm. from statehood till so. Okay, so people yeah. coming from cities and invading and bringing their ideology in, um, if you're living there and you don't believe that change ever should exist, then you would say that. Uh, so any fighting that you do thereafter, they have it coming. Yep. Okay. So now about that lost cause historiography we've talked about before. Yes. So so the South, quote unquote, fought with honor. Mm. Uh, the South uh, was, I must have missed that you in know, your examples. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. These are not the best examples if you want to try to forward that argument. But you know, we we've, we've talked about lost cause historiography before, and we've talked about why it is that it that it makes me want to you know pantomime kicking somebody's corpse under the table <laughs> because it's a load of bullshit. Right. And 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 this is where kind of we come back to Firefly because the thing is during his lifetime Jesse James specifically and I and I, and I talk about Jesse James for a reason specifically during his lifetime Jesse James had sympathetic coverage in the press mm-hmm. and he had he gained a great deal of sympathy from the public largely because there were an awful lot of people in the wake of the Civil War. Mm-hmm who were former Confederates who were pissed off about the fact that they'd lost. And they agreed with him about the fact that he and his family were all victims. Mm-hmm. And um, so so he, he became, he wound up turning into this figure that he wound up getting romanticized and turned into this kind of Robin Hood figure. Mm-hmm. And then in later eras, Hollywood picked up on that and there have been close to a dozen movies made about his life in which he is this sympathetic Robin Hood kind of figure. Never mind the fact that he was a fucking terrorist. I remember there's a Brady Bunch episode where Peter really liked Jesse James and they had a talk about it and he ended up meeting a guy whose dad was killed by Jesse James. And there was this whole thing about how... I remember that now, too. Yeah, where he would have people turn their back to him so that he didn't have to look at them when he shot them. And, of course, you know, in 30 minutes it fixed it all. But um, I I just remember that was... I mean, that's that's the Brady Bunch. That's, what, the 70s? Yeah. So, you know... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and 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 that's one of the few times I think that anybody in in mainstream American popular culture has characterized Jesse James in a negative light. He he has gotten this kind of again romantic outlaw kind of treatment mm-hmm. and you know in in one in one era it was overtly because you know the people who were paying for movies to be made were Confederate sympathizers. Uh-huh. 
And then in later eras, it was because, well, you know, he's an anti-establishment figure. And so if you look at anything from the 60s or very early 70s about him, then right. that's probably why he's going to get lionized. And then and, – and nobody looks at the fact that like, no, 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 seriously, he was he – was, a a marauding criminal and right. the the very first i mean the beginnings of his career involved the summary execution of a group of unarmed mm-hmm. union soldiers who got hauled off of a train in centralia kansas so like and and nobody's listening about that either like from from yeah. age to age so it's kind of like in one era out the other <laughs> Uh, Timestamp. Way please. too late in the game, but I've hit Way you with other other shit slipping. when I, yeah, I, I was acting like stuff, a like I didn't know the South's history. So, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, as far as literally a pun, that's like, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah. Um, so so now, what I want to point out, unfortunately, mm-hmm. is now this is where we're going to come back to Firefly. Okay. <sighs> Because in interviews, Joss Whedon has pointed out that people trying to survive in a post kind of civil war kind of environment is kind of what he wanted to look at Mm -hmm. when he was writing the ideas behind what became Firefly. And most Westerns are are that slice of life that's post civil war too. Yeah. And, and certainly what I'm, what I'm going to say in a second could be pointed at the Western genre in general. Mm-hmm. But I think because of who all makes up science fiction fandom, I think we, we need to recognize as a group that the stories told by Firefly mm-hmm. forward – and are unfortunately really heavily, and I think subconscious. I honestly do think subconsciously, mm-hmm. are influenced by the uh, lost cause narrative. You know, it's oh, it's yeah. this identifying identifying with the underdog, identifying with the rebels against the alliance, quote unquote. Again, alliance, it's a which simplified really the union. Yeah. It's a simplified underdog, though. I hate the term underdog when you're dealing with the South because they weren't the underdog. <laughs> they were rank <laughs> villains. They were trying to own people. That's not an underdog thing to do. Like, it, no, it's I, such a simplified yeah. underdog. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And, and historically, you're totally correct. And I think the overwhelming majority of Firefly fans would, would agree Um I, I think based on what what I know about the fandom for the show, mm-hmm. I think I think most people who are really dedicated fans of the show would would you know if if you explicitly talk about the Confederacy, I think they'd agree. But I I think we need all of us mm-hmm. to look at what this story says, and we need to recognize that there is not enough done in the storyline to make it clear that the alliance is not the union and the independents are not the confederacy because at at a passing glance there's way too many parallels oh yeah and if you want to try if you want to try to argue that the alliance is like the empire mm-hmm. there's not enough there's not enough evidence given to us of that i mean yes they they did some terrible things mm-hmm. 
But we don't we don't know what it was that the independents were fighting for. We don't know what it was that was going on on those planets that the independents were were trying to right. stay independent. We don't know. Hell, we don't know anything about Mal's background before the war. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about Zoe's background before the war. We don't know what it was exactly that sparked the conflict. The only word that we have about it is from Mal and Zoe, who mm-hmm. I hate to be the one talking like, you know, the villain from the series, but like they are both very clearly marked by the PTSD they're still carrying mm-hmm. from the Battle of Serenity Valley. And um, we don't know the extent to which the alliance is like neo-fascist. Right. We don't know the extent to which they are corporatist, you know, rightist, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we know that, that some element of some functionary element of the alliance was, was responsible for what happened to River, which is horrible and awful, and clearly those people are terrible. But we don't know what started the war. Mm-hmm. We only have Matt and Zoe's word for it in, in the series and then in the, in the film. You know, and and I mean, the movie points out that like the Reavers are somehow the fault of the Alliance because they were trying to do some kind of mass, you know, mind control kind of experiment. So okay, if we take that into account, then okay, they're they're pretty clearly pretty pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. But but within the context of the series itself, we don't we don't know. And and a friend of mine heard my my remarks about this on facebook long before i even started writing down my thesis for this episode Mm -hmm. and he said you know well it's pretty clear that mal and zoe are unreliable narrators because you know mal is clearly a petty criminal who's you know and and of course he'd he'd argue with with being called a petty criminal (laughs) he makes a point of that well i wouldn't say petty i'd say shushi shushi means petty you know right and and again, scintillating dialogue. It's one of the wonderful things about the series. But you know, there's there's an unreliable narrator only counts as an unreliable narrator if you pick apart how unreliable they are. Yeah, if you have their narration pulled apart, cool. But if you don't, if if it is what guides you through the whole series, they're not an unreliable narrator unless you've shown that they are in some way deficient as a narrator. That their experience is not verifiable or that their experience is not um, valid uh, in yeah. some way. And I, and I don't think Whedon, in the course of the 14 episodes of the series... He doesn't do that at all. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. We he goes just, the other the, way. The only, yeah. I mean, Mal and, is smart. He is smart and he is affable and... While he might have some failings as a person, by and large, he has the heart of gold. Yeah. You know. And and the reason this is a problem is we're now operating any anybody who comes into this fandom mm-hmm. now in in the times in which we are living <laughs> right now. Is, is going to see this narrative where we have this plucky group of outlaws who are operating, you know, against the oppressive overarching government of the Alliance. 
and it and it it is it is it is entirely mm-hmm. a lost cause narrative. Oh it yeah, it is. I don't. And again, I go back to that quote. Yes, that, that you said last episode cost you so much, so much, so much trouble in the moment. Mm-hmm. It it may have been the losing side. I'm still not convinced it was the wrong one. Right. Like. You know, that's that's the kind of argument that leads in the direction of heritage, not hate, that leads in the direction of, you know, good people on both sides. And it's like, no, man, historically speaking, the archetypes from which all of this was taken is based on the idea that one side in this conflict wanted to fucking own people. Right. And that that's somehow and, the the moral equivalent to wanting to stop it, um, or that's somehow the moral equivalent to wanting to stop them from leaving so they could go do it. Like grammatically, those are the same. Morally, they are not. Yeah, and 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 for all of the other stuff that Joss Whedon did in the process of casting the series in the process of defining who the characters were in all of the other stuff that he did, Mm -hmm. he did some wonderful, wonderful things. And I Mm -hmm. don't want to take anything away from all the good stuff he did, but I think, I think it's important that we all take a moment to recognize that if this is not examined, Mm -hmm. it's troubling. And I mean, part of that is me being a Catholic and, you know, council of Nicaea, having determined that, you know, the gospel of Thomas was not acceptable because, you know, okay, look, we're not going to put this in the Bible, not because it's actually heretical, but because some of the stuff is, is like, if you don't know everything else, some of the stuff can be really dangerous. It's kind of the same thing. I I would say that it certainly, if you have enough material out there that is sympathetic to the side that was morally bankrupt, then you're going to prime everyone to to be sympathetic to the wrong side. And the proof that I would have for that is the first 60 years of cinema. Or, frankly, the, the first, um, from the 1880s forward through the 1960s, basically until black people started getting college degrees in any large numbers um, from the GI Bill. Uh, so once you had that, you stopped having lost cause ideology be the only flavor that was in the ice cream shop. And, and even that it still sets a tone for plenty of other white historians who are like, nah, I don't want to do that kind of history. I want to do this. And they just accept that as being true because it's been true this whole time. And same thing with cinema. So I'd say if you prime it like that, which, again, we talked about this with the wrestling episodes, if you prime it like that, you are being grossly irresponsible to history um, and to the culture. So, yeah, I would I would agree with you that we not only have to look at what Joss Whedon did um, and, and where he was coming from on it, but also where it fails to recognize the actual history of what actually happened. Yeah, and and again, I want to I want to state this just so we don't wind up being you know completely you know uh, 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 you know driven driven off of Twitter with you know torches and pitchforks. Um, I want to I want to point out really really clearly that like I think the series is excellent TV. Mm-hmm. I just think 
that that when Whedon was writing it, he was unconsciously because the thing is, we all have been uh, uh, brought up in an environment where even in a state as liberal mm-hmm. as California, we're still educated in what is way too much mm-hmm. a lost cause kind of curriculum mm-hmm. in terms of American history. Like we're, we're not as much as, as, you know, places like Florida or, you know, God forbid the Carolinas or, or Texas. Hmm. But, but I mean, still the emphasis in, in the textbooks when, when I was, when I was in, in middle school and high school, the emphasis was on the conflict about states' rights. Right. And, Same with me. And as we, as we, yeah, as we exhaustively talked about in your, in your, you know, magnum opus about wrestling and the lost cause, <laughs> like if you look at the primary source documentation, no motherfucker, it was about slavery. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yes, the issue was whether or not states could do it, but the, the thing that motivated them was the issue of whether or not they could own people. Yeah. Yeah, let's look at and, what the states were the, trying to do, not just that the states were trying to do something. Yeah. Again, yeah. just and, because and, there's two opposite sides doesn't mean that they're equal morally. Yeah, and 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 meeting in the middle does not necessarily mean that that's that's morally neutral. Right. No. You know, and and so I think I think or that moral you know, neutrality we, is a is a proper position to take as an historian. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Go. No, Go no, not at all. <laughs> I think it's an important point you made. But, you know, and 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 just the the extent to which we've all been kind of kind of marinating mm-hmm. in that from from our youth. Mm-hmm. You know, we we wound up uh at at my to, to digress for for a moment. We wound up uh at my site in my district this year mm-hmm. as social studies instructors. Uh, we, we're, we're getting new textbooks next year. Oh, what's that? And I was part of, (laughs) it's awesome. Oh, wow. Uh, The, the process of choosing one is arduous and a pain in the ass, but getting new textbooks is wonderful. Um, so, and then I was part of the, part of the pilot program on my campus for the new, for the new textbooks. Mm -hmm. And of course I'm, I'm, I'm doing world history hundred percent. I'm not dealing with eighth graders, Mm -hmm. but the, the, the really great, wonderful news that I got from the folks who were doing piloting for the eighth grade text was that the new eighth grade text doesn't hit on states' rights so much and it spends a lot more time talking about slavery. Good. And that really made me happy. I'm like, okay, good. So we're not buying the same fucking textbook that Texas is. This is a good sign. Right. Um, you know, I, you know to, to be a little bit regionalist there for a moment, but, you know... Um, and, and the thing is like, I, I grew up with my father having been educated in Florida Mm -hmm. in the 1940s and 1950s, you know, when segregation was still a thing. Mm -hmm. And when I was learning about the civil war in junior high and then in high school, one of the things that he was asking me about was like, so, you know, it's about states' rights, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's also about slavery. He was like, well, you know, no, you got to, it's states' rights. 
because that was how he was educated. Now, my father is, you know, a boomer. Right. Um, from, from originally from Florida. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, his, his outlook on it is, is, you know, of course, very much colored by that. But I, I would argue that, you know, for somebody of his, of his generation and of his, um, upbringing, mm-hmm. he is as non-racist, I'm not going to say anti-racist, but he's as non-racist as anybody could be based on his background. Sure. But even for, but even for him, the narrative of the civil war was about states' rights. Mm-hmm. And that's the same kind of reason because of, because, because of his education, that's what that war was about. And I think for the same reason, we wind up seeing Firefly being this series about this plucky band of, of, you know, people trying to survive going up against this, this, uh, you know, evil centralized government. Oh yeah. Without giving any recognition to, okay, look, all of the trappings that you're using for this. Right. Are taken, are taken straight out of real world history and we, we need to have something to give us some separation from that. You know, like if, if you want to make this about the rebellion against the empire, then let's, let's find something to make this more about the Maquis versus the Nazis. Yeah. It's like, not like you, you don't know, have a built-in bad guy already. Yeah. Like, you know, if you want the Alliance to be that kind of bad guy, then let's, let's lean harder on you know, the National Socialist Party or the Italian fascists or or Franco, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, and, and you know, and then and then it's like, no, in this universe, these are the people that won. And our our plucky, you know, independent heroes are the ones trying to trying to live in the universe after those people won. Like, OK, awesome. Let's do that. But, you know, for all of the wonderful things that the series does by leaning so heavily on these tropes that have all been so heavily influenced by the, the lost cause mm-hmm. narrative, you wind up reinforcing the lost cause narrative, which is the yes. last fucking thing we need to have happen right now. Especially in our sci-fi, which uh, this yeah. is Western in space, but uh, yeah, any, anything where you're telling us what the world is going to be like on some level and you come back to the idea of like, oh yeah, it's just like it was in the 1880s in Missouri. You're like, why? Like, why, why is why that do we want compelling? To back there? Yeah. Like, why there? Yeah. You know, and I, and I and I I get, you know, I get that he wanted to talk about, you know, what do you do in this world where you know the the you know authoritarian power kind of wins? I mean, I understand that, mm-hmm. but like, find another metaphor, man. Yeah. Like. You know, even even with all of the Western trappings, you can still do a Western in space and not mm-hmm. immediately lean on the obvious post-Civil War U.S. kind of situation. I mean, you know, so that's that is my problem with this particular series. And of course, then there are other things that that we have now found out in the mm-hmm. years since Firefly about you know Joss Whedon's personal life and his choices and his behavior that are yes. that are somewhat damaging to his uh kind of kind of self-promoted uh uh idea that he is the woke bay yes that's a quote that's a quote from an interview with him by the way i'm woke bay 
Wow. The moment any middle-aged the middle the moment any middle-aged white guy starts using a phrase like I'm woke bay, you really need to look really hard at who that dude is. Yeah. Well, and I'm he's, just going to say, yeah, he's well, he's like 55, something like that. So number 1, don't use those words unironically. Uh number 2, <laughs> um, you know, uh yeah, it's it's that, you know, I'm not racist, but I mean it's it's that all the time. It gets, it gets really, really close to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far as saying it is in fact a. I'm not racist, but, but it's way too close for comfort. Well, he's literally, least. he's literally virtue signaling, and people when they actually virtue signal, it's often to hide their vice. Yeah, yeah. Not gonna, not gonna argue with that. Yeah, and and you know the the remarks that. He has uh, now. Admittedly, this is all coming out of you know. The, anybody who's who's a fan of his, of course, is is familiar with with the story. And, and if you're not a fan of his, you're probably familiar with, you know, all, all of the stuff that we're that we're talking about right now is coming out of you know his divorce. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's two sides to to especially those kind of stories. But with that being said, there's a volume of stuff involved mm-hmm. that that doesn't that is not a good look for him yeah put it that way well and you know and, we didn't we didn't get to um his fetishization of asian cultures at all like they're there this is at least a multi-part series of what's wrong with joss <laughs> whedon um yeah. so i just wanted to put that out there as like we recognize what we didn't get to tonight uh as far yeah. as he goes because we were just plumbing into this part of him yeah. and where the tendrils well, come out. Yeah. And, and, and largely because this, this is one of the points that as, as somebody who is a history educator, mm-hmm. this, this is something that really, really like the other stuff is like, okay, yeah, no, this guy wants to publicize himself as being, you know, woke bay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, where does that phrase even come out of your fucking mouth? But yeah. you know, he, he want, he has this, this kind of self promoted image as being this, this kind of guy. But, but you know, for me, the one that like, I most personally feel like, no, seriously, I gotta, I gotta call this out mm-hmm. is, is this particular issue because like when, when we were talking about professional wrestling, we talked about the fact that like, this is an insult to historians. Yes. Like like the primary documentation all points in one direction and the narrative that's been constructed has been consciously built mm-hmm. to obfuscate that and to move in a, in a different direction to try to make people look better than they deserve. And like, you know, I understand maybe you aren't educated is the only word that comes to mind but maybe maybe you aren't schooled enough in in historiography mm-hmm. to understand this but like for god's sake we as a community need to have a conversation about this mm-hmm. because because this is deservedly a beloved series because these are wonderful compelling characters and this is a great story yes but like but but like when we're watching it, we need to keep in mind that like, okay, no, look, there, there are historical parallels here. We need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Like, you are know? you sure you and want to write along those lines? 
Yeah, like yeah. if you're if you're a writer, is this really the story, the kind of story you want to tell? Is there mm-hmm. another way you can tell? Is is there another way the same narrative can be served mm-hmm. by using a different villain? Is yeah. there a way this narrative can be served by by characterizing the heroes in a slightly different way? Mm-hmm. And and overuse of these tropes reinforces unfortunate ideas mm-hmm. kind of where I'm going to go with that. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, and that's, and that's basically I've, I've shot my wad. I mean, at that point, that's, that's pretty much what, what I, I kind of want to kind of want to try to say is just, I'm not saying nobody can watch Firefly anymore. I'm not trying to say that we all need to hate on Firefly. Sure. I'm not even saying that we all need to hate on, on Joss Whedon though. I will maybe argue that he doesn't necessarily deserve the amount of credit he got for a long time mm-hmm. for being, you know, progressive. But what I am saying is when we watch this series and when we fall in love with this story, we need to be aware of what it is that we're looking at. And we need to remember the truth behind the tropes that we're looking at. I would agree. So there you go. Thank you. Based, based on that, what's your takeaway here? Um, I need to rewatch Firefly with a new lens. Uh, number one, I've okay. forgotten a lot of what happened. Like when you were mentioning, I'm like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Um, I, you know, I love Star Wars, as anybody who knows me will yeah. know. It is highly problematic. <laughs> highly problematic. I, I tell you, watch Star Wars with a four-year-old girl, and you will see how problematic that sh- that that shit is. Um, I still love Star Wars, but I have to acknowledge okay. its problems. I think this is going to be okay. another one of those where it is okay to love a work of fiction, but you have to acknowledge from whence it came. You know, just like we did with comic books. Like you know, when I when I when yeah. I taught comic books, or when we talked about the X Men, and and we talked about you know the nineteen seventies, and it was. You know, these guys were trying to make an allegory, and they were also two white guys living in New York making an allegory about racism. Like, it's okay because you can contextualize it, but you got to call it out. Um, yeah. And, and I think well, the same thing's true you, with Firefly. Yeah. And when you talked about uh, uh, Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. you know, like from a modern lens, there's so much stuff that's like, I'm sorry. Oh, we need to pause for a moment and talk about that. Yeah. But y- you can you can still you can still love that. Mm-hmm. But in the process of loving it, you have to have you have to you also have to be intellectually honest. Yeah. What are you loving it for? Think, what are you loving yeah. it despite? Yeah. Yeah. And and you know recognize that and and when you're talking about it with other people, mm-hmm. kind of take ownership of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, call it yeah. out for them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's uh that's that'll do it for me. Um I definitely right. I'm going to start trying to watch uh Firefly. So, awesome. Yeah. And then my work here is rapidly approaching a middle. <laughs> cool. Well, where can people aim their uh, hate for you in their defense of Joss Whedon against this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> 
Oh, dear. Um, this is the first time I've actually been afraid to say this. <laughs> uh, you can find me on the Twitter at EHBlaylock. And you can find me on the Instagram at, at MRBlaylock. And, and where, where can they find you either to direct their hate or, or their contempt for you not hating it quite as much as I do? Sure. Well, there's a few places. Um, one, on Fridays at 8.30, they can find me on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns as I and my partner Daniel Humbarger uh, sling the best puns uh, this side of the verse. Um, they can also find me on Sundays uh, at twitch. Well done. Thank you. Uh, they can find me on Sundays at twitch.tv forward slash calling it in the ring as I and my partner Johnny Taylor are calling some of the best matches seen uh, this side of the verse uh, in pro wrestling. Um, you can also find me at Duh Harmony, as two H's in there, um, on the Twitter and on the Insta. So feel free to uh, drop by and tell us what you think. Uh, you can find both of us where? at geek history time on the twitter machine uh and uh yeah i I would i would say that if you really really desperately feel the need to to sling anything at us that's probably the best place to do it Mm because one one or both of us will will respond somehow uh probably most likely there uh, if you come after us individually, we might just—I might just crawl away and hide. So if you <laughs> if you really want to have a debate, go to go to Geek History Time. If if yeah. you want to just you know fling something and and have me be like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. Uh, then then find me then find me individually. But yeah, I'd, I'd say at Geek History Time is the is the best place. Definitely. Uh, um, to I, do that. I would also say if you have anything that you want us to advertise, if you have a business that you think needs special recognition, uh, and if you want to sell things through us, uh, through sponsorship, uh, that is also the place to contact us at geek history time on the, on the Twitter. So for all your love and hate and monetary needs, uh, at geek history time, um, and for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock, and until next time, keep rolling 20s. Stay shiny.